I figured something out recently. My phone listens to me when I talk. 
And uh, I know that the same way all of you know that. It's because every once in a while something shows up on my phone on sale or in my recommended videos section that I never searched for, but I definitely talked about. And most recently, my watertight argument for this is that I've been talking to some of my friends about going back to school, about taking like online classes and stuff. And lo and behold, just recently in my recommended videos section was a, a video entitled the most popular class in Yale's history. And the scary thing about your phone listening to you is that the algorithm on the other side of it is really smart because I definitely wanted to know what the most popular class in Yale's history was. And I, because I mean, look, Yale, Yale is older than our country like 75 years older than our country. It boasts tons of Nobel laureates, his professors, the founder of the Human Genome Project was one of its professors. Ben Stein was one of the professors. That's Ferris Bueller, Bueller, Bueller's own teacher, right? So what could possibly be more popular than all of those things? Well, of course I clicked on the video so I can tell you the class's name is Psychology and the Good Life. It is taught by Dr. Lori Santos, and the whole class is basically unpacking the science of happiness. It is, looks at modern psychology and says, this is what to do if you want to be your happiest self. But, but look, that's an interesting concept for a class for sure, but the most popular class ever, what explains that? Well, Dr. Santos has an opinion. She says that it's because this generation is the most psychologically messed up generation since we've been measuring psychological messed upness. <laughs> it's not exactly how you would imagine a Yale professor speaking, right? But I mean, she gets her point across and she's got stats to back it up. Recent statistics show us that this generation, 40% of college students report being too depressed to function most days. 60% of them say they're overwhelmingly lonely and anxious, and more than 10% say they've considered suicide in just the last year. Why is this class the most popular class in the history of Yale? It's because students feel like they need help. They're stressed out, they're anxious, they're overwhelmed, they're afraid, and they're lonely. In this class, the whole point of it is to help teach them what they could do about that. Now, you're probably picking up on this already, that this is what I'm going to be talking about today. I'm going to try to help us with these kinds of things. But I want to show you basically like what actually is, the first of all, I, I just... I've got to say to my fellow 30-somethings and older, it's easy to look at this and go, well, those are statistics describing the youngest generation. And yes, they take the blue ribbon for psychological messed up in this, but we're a close second. Every one of those statistics has been rising in every generation for the last 20 years. And I don't need to tell you that, because you feel that. It just happens to be that our youngest generation is being torn up by this in particular. So what's the solution? How do we find more joy and more peace instead of fear and anxiety? Well, according to the most popular class in Yale's history, it comes down to two things. The first thing is mindfulness. 
basically the idea of, of being mindful of how you feel and why. And the second thing, and according to the research, far more importantly, is gratitude. Being thankful for the things in your life. If, in summary, if you're struggling with poor mental health, the way to battle that is being mindful, being grateful, that's how you'll have peace. An average class at Yale costs $10,000. You're welcome, right? You're welcome. But hey, can I, can, I, can I show you something that's kind of interesting? There was this church planter named Paul. He wrote a letter to a church in Greece. It's basically a thank you letter. They sent him a gift. He sent him a thank you note. And, and, but he had heard that they were struggling with some stuff, some like mental health kind of fear and anxiety stuff. And so he wrote to them and he gave them some encouragement. This is Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. He says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Does that sound familiar? Look, mental health is right there. Mindfulness, right there. Gratitude, right behind it, and then what does that lead to? Peace. Modern psychology and the Bible line up in this area. Uh, they support one another. When it comes down to it, the bottom line is, if you want to have peace, it's mindfulness and especially gratitude that will lead to that. But the thing that I want to point out is that Paul wrote this about 1960 years ago. Ben Stewart has said that modern psychology continues to stumble and trip upon ancient paths that have been ours for centuries in Jesus. And so what I want to do today for the rest of the time that we have together is talk about the fact that gratitude is the path to peace. But I want to focus on the, on the ancient path, because the ancient path leads to somewhere better. It leads to a greater peace than modern psychological research could ever provide. And so we're going to spend time, we're going to look at what Paul said to his friends in Philippi. And we're going to look at how he believed Jesus to be central to the advice that he was giving. And then ultimately, we're going to talk about how to walk that path. That's what we're doing. And we're going to do it by looking at Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. But I want to kind of set us up even a little bit more detail than I gave earlier. And I want to highlight the fact that Paul, when he writes this letter to this church in Philippi, Greece, he's writing it from prison. He's been imprisoned because he's been sharing the gospel. He's been telling people they should follow Jesus. And so he's in jail for that. And this church that he helped plant in Greece decided to send him a gift. They remembered him and they sent him a gift, a care package, and it arrived through a messenger whose name was Epaphroditus. And while Epaphroditus is there, he's giving Paul the lowdown on what's going on at this church. And what Epaphroditus starts explaining to Paul is that the church is going through a lot. They've got conflict within the walls and they've got persecution coming in from outside of the walls and it's tough. And so the people of the church are experiencing fear and they're experiencing anxiety and it's really hurting them. 
And so Paul, in his thank you note, he devotes a section of the letter to giving encouragement and guidance towards these mental health struggles that his friends are going through. And that's what begins in chapter four, verse four. It starts like this. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. He says it twice because he's anticipating their first response. Rejoice in the Lord. How are we supposed to rejoice given our circumstances? I said rejoice in the Lord always. Now, it's almost as if Paul could be imagining our response right now in 2020. Rejoice in the Lord always. Have you seen 2020, Paul, right? Again, I say rejoice. He anticipates it, and it's kind of hard to argue with someone who doubles down on joy when he's writing while chained up in prison. He continues. He says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Now the word translated here is reasonableness. It's the original writings in Greek. It's translated into English. Different translations translate that word in particular in different ways. Sometimes it's gentleness. Sometimes it's willingness to yield That's because it's a complex word, but the picture that Paul's trying to put forward is basically, look, I've heard of the conflict within the walls. Be willing to submit to each other. Quit fighting to be right. There's no win in this. There's no ultimate victory in this. You've got nothing to prove. And then he gives the motivation for that, both for that and the rejoicing that he said earlier. He says, because the Lord is at hand. The Lord is within arm's reach. He is near. Jesus made a promise to his followers. He said, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And then in Psalm 73, we're told that the nearness of God is our good. This is what Paul is alluding to. He's saying, look, God is near to you. Jesus is near to you. So rejoice Quit fighting amongst yourselves. There are bigger things that draw us together than separate us, for the Lord is at hand. And even here, right here, in just the first couple of lines, you can start to see how the ancient path is different. Because nowhere in here is he dismissing difficult life circumstances. In fact, he's almost ignoring them. Because he's not pointing to being grateful for something. He's talking about being grateful for someone. He continues. He says, do not, this is what we've looked at earlier, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Originally, we kind of connected this to the concept, the modern concept of mindfulness or meditation. One of the reasons we do that is because the word here translated as prayer literally means a worshipful attitude of the mind. A worshipful attitude of the mind, which means that if you think about the modern concept of meditation or mindfulness, usually it's talking about emptying your mind of things, like getting thoughts out, trying to empty and quiet your mind. The Christian concept is actually the opposite. It's to fill your mind with thoughts of God, of who he is and what he has done. It is a worshipful attitude of the mind. And Paul says that while you are doing this, Be thankful. And while you are asking God for things, be thankful then 
too, whether you're praying and just bring, filling your mind with thoughts of God or you're praying by asking him for things, do all of it with thanksgiving. Which can kind of be a strange concept. Because again, Paul says nothing about thanking God for answered prayers. He's saying, be thankful as you ask for stuff. It's almost as if the point is not whether or not you get a yes, but we understand that side of things. You ask God for something, he gives it to you, you say thank you. That's like what we teach our children. I mean, this is very basic, but that's not what Paul's saying. He's saying, pray with thanksgiving. As you're praying, as you're asking for things, be thankful. How does that work? Well, Paul, first of all, goes back to the Lord is at hand. He's saying, be thankful that God has made himself near enough to you to listen. That's something to be thankful for. And then he's saying, look, as you fill your mind with who God is, realize that you can be thankful for the answer that God is going to give you to your prayers, regardless of whether it's what you're asking for. Because knowing who God is means you can be sure that God is going to answer your prayer the way you would have asked him to if you knew what he knew. That's the character of God. That's how we practice gratitude, even as we ask for things. And Paul says that if we do that, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We know from ancient sources that one of the ways that Rome's, Rome would guard its prisoners is that it would literally chain a guard to the prisoner. Like, chain them together. And we know from Paul's writings that this is exactly what his experience of being in jail was. And so, as Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, he's trying to think of how to describe the peace of God. And he uses here a word that literally means to guard, is literally the word used for a soldier standing watch over a prisoner. So the, the picture is that Paul is basically looking at the manacles and following the chain over to the Praetorian guard, chained to him, and going, how should I describe the peace of God? Well, this is what I'll say. You know, I know these guys, they know that my circumstances in life are pretty rough. I'm in jail. I am awaiting trial and potentially my own execution. I am being chained down and not allowed to do the one thing that I feel passionate about, which is planting more churches like you, church in Philippi. But I have a peace. I have a peace that is miraculous. I have a peace that you could not explain apart from God because I know my God is at hand. He is as close to me as this guard. He is as vigilant over me as this guard could ever be. That's the peace of God. He then says that everybody should focus their minds on good things. Dwell on it. Think about it. He lists those things as things that are true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable, excellent and worthy of praise. He says, set your mind on these things. And so what we have is we have Paul saying, rejoice. We have Paul saying, pray with thanksgiving. We have Paul saying, set your mind upon the good things in this world. And what is the through line? What are the things that work through this entire section that Paul has put forward? There are two things. The first one is gratitude. It's all gratitude. Gratitude is basically the recognition and celebration of good things. 
And so what Paul is saying is he's saying, look, that's part of rejoicing. That's part of praying with thanksgiving. That is part of, of, of focusing your mind on good things. Gratitude runs through all of this. Gratitude is indeed the path to peace. This has been taught for centuries, and it has been confirmed by modern psychology. It is undoubtedly true. But there's a second through line. And this is something that's unique to this ancient path. And it's the fact that the ancient path of gratitude is not about being grateful for something. It's about being grateful for someone. Because if you look at Philippians 4, what we've looked through, there is nothing, absolutely nothing, about positive life circumstances. In fact, the only circumstances we know about connected to Philippians 4, every single one of them is negative. All of them. And yet we're told to rejoice. We're told to pray with thanksgiving. We're told to dwell on the good things in our minds. And that's because the ancient path is not about being grateful for something. It's about being grateful for someone. That's why he says, rejoice in the Lord. That's why he says, the Lord is at hand. That's why he says, pray and God will give you peace and it will guard and protect you in the Lord. The point of the ancient path is that peace is a person. It's a person. It's a true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, praiseworthy person who is near at hand, who has promised to never leave or forsake us, whose nearness is our good. Peace is a person. And that person's name is Jesus. And what Paul is pointing out to his followers, to his friends who are followers of Jesus, is how I should phrase it. He's, he's looking at them and he's saying, look, this peace, this unassailable peace comes when you look at Jesus and you realize that he saw our brokenness and instead of running from it, he ran towards it. It's the peace that you have in knowing that Jesus died for our sins, giving us freedom. It's the peace you know knowing that Jesus is risen from the dead and that his resurrection means that we can be confident that absolutely no circumstance in our lives could be beyond the power of Jesus because death itself is not beyond his power. And so Paul looks at his, at his friends, at the followers of Jesus, and he says, followers of Jesus, rejoice. Be grateful. Because to have Jesus is to have everything. It's to never lack for something to be grateful for. And I want you to know that if you are not a follower of Jesus, he is still at hand. He is still near to you. And this piece and ultimately eternal life is available to you if you make the choice to put your trust in him. It's a choice you can make today. But Paul's not done, so we're not done either. Paul actually continues, and he, he adds a sentence at the end that, that might be the most crucial sentence in all of his, his discussion on gratitude. Because basically it's the difference between actually experiencing this peace and not. And because, I mean, do y'all know any stressed out Christians? <laughs> Some of y'all are stressed out Christians, right? Look, 
being a Christian doesn't make it so that we now flit through our lives like with tranquility and peace all the time. That's not how it works. Neither is it true that every student that attends Dr. Lori Stantos's class walks out like a peaceful person. That's not how it works either. The difference between experiencing peace and not is not whether you've attended a class on it. It's not whether or not you're a Christian. It's not whether or not you go to church. The difference is what Paul says as he concludes this conversation. He says this, he says, hey, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. The difference between people who have peace and don't are the people who actually practice gratitude. Not know that they should, they actually do it. They actually bring to mind things that they are thankful for and thank God for them. That's the difference maker. And because I very much want you to experience the peace that God has promised if you practice gratitude, I'm going to get hyper-practical about how you can do it by telling you about something that has been commonly referred to as the three blessings. It's actually very simple. What you would do is every single day, you would think of three things that you're thankful for, write them down. That's the three blessings. It's not complicated. Every day, three things, write them down. Every part of that is important. Every day, three things you're thankful for, write them down. And you can be thankful for something, something. I mean, I know I made a point about the ancient path earlier, but James, the brother of Jesus, tells us that every good and perfect gift ultimately comes from God. So you can be grateful for something. But the good news is, is that if you feel like you have been 2020, <laughs> like this year has happened to you, if you're a follower of Jesus, the beauty of it is, is you can still be grateful for someone. You can still have peace, even if this year has been particularly tough on you. Three things, write them down, spend the time, brief prayer of thanks for each one. So three blessings, it's that simple. But again, even knowing a good habit does not mean having a good habit, right? So I'm gonna dip into more modern psychological research real quick and tell you what they say is the way to develop a new good habit. All right, we know what the three blessings are, now how do we actually do it? Well, most, or a lot of research has been done that one of the best ways to add a new habit is to do what's called habit stacking. All that means is you look at your routine and your normal habits that you have right now, hopefully a good one, but you know, uh, but a habit you have right now, and you basically add the new habit bop, right next to it. You stack them. So here's an example. Many of us who like coffee, you've got a time, most of you, that you have your first cup. It might be a part of your routine in the morning. It might be your first break at work. I don't know, but you probably have a first cup time. Well, habit stacking would be if you want to start practicing the three blessings, you want to do that to practice gratitude, then during your first cup, you add the three blessings. While you're taking down the pod, you're thinking of things. While it's, you know, uh, I don't know, you hit the button and the coffee comes down. Now you're writing the things down. And as you're taking your first sip, you're thanking God for each. Habit stacking. Me, personally, I'm, I'm already adding it to my morning hygiene routine while I'm brushing my teeth and totally flossing if my dentist is watching. Uh, uh, I am adding 
uh, the, I'm going to do the three blessings. Dry erase marker, I'm writing it on my mirror. And as I'm getting all situated, I'm thanking God for three things in my life that he has given me. Or three things about him that are worthy of praise and gratitude. Stack your habits. Practice the three blessings. If you practice gratitude, if you practice it, God has promised you to give you his peace. It's a promise. He keeps his promises. But the big difference is what Paul ends with. It's not about knowing that this is something you should do. It's actually doing it. So make that our focus, and God will keep his promise to us. My wife is uh, one of those crazy people who starts decorating for Christmas before the kids fully get their Halloween costumes off. You know what I'm talking about? So the Johnson family is full-on Christmas mode right now. And that, of course, involves Christmas movies. We've already knocked out Elf. We've already knocked out the Santa Claus. You know, we're working our way through some of the classics. And we've watched one of my favorites, which is The Grinch. The Grinch is essentially the story of a man who's so painfully lonely that he pushes other people away and even lashes out to the, at them because he wants them to be as miserable as he is. And so ultimately what that leads him to is he wants so bad for them to be miserable that he decides to steal Christmas and he runs through this town and he steals all their presents and all their decorations and he takes the big pile of them up to the top of a cliff. And he's in the process of shoving these things down shattering Christmas for good. And as he's about to do it, he hears singing coming up from the town below. And he can't believe it. He can't believe it because the circumstances of their lives are so bad. He just stole Christmas. He took all the good things from them. That was his purpose. He couldn't believe that they could be singing. And so he takes out this telescope and he focuses the lens on the face of this small, joyful child. And as he looked at this girl, he thought he might melt. If he did what she did, would he feel what she felt? You are surrounded by hurting and lonely people. And they're hiding behind their, um, good, good, you, you good? Like that mask, you know? But behind that mask, they're broken. And they are watching you. It's your coworkers. It's your siblings. It's the other parents on the team. It's your kids. And they so desperately want to stop feeling the way that they feel. But they're about at the point where they're giving up hope that anything could ever change. But what if? What if they were able to see in you a miraculous, unassailable, unexplainable kind of peace, regardless of the circumstances you're facing? If they saw that in you, they might think to themselves, if 
I did what they did, would I feel what they felt? Look, if you practice gratitude, you will find peace. Jesus is our peace. Gratitude is our path. And he will keep your promise to you. If you practice gratitude, you will experience that unassailable, miraculous, even peace. He may do something even greater. He may use the peace in you to lead someone else to who they need most. Not what they need most. Who they need most. Jesus himself. May it be so. May we trust that what God tells us is true, whether we need modern psychology to to underpin it or whatever, may we pursue it and find our God to be faithful. May we find him to be the promise keeper we know him to be and may the peace that we receive from him guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus in the kind of way that not only protects us the way that God died to give us that protection, but would lead others to what they need most. That's what's on the line. Let's ask God to give us the strength to do it. Father, we, we begin with the place of gratitude. That you would ask your son to come and die for us, that you would ask your son to purchase for us our freedom and ultimately provide for us a path to peace. Because our peace is in you, Jesus. It's not in our circumstances. It's in who you are. It's in what you have done and what we can trust that you will do. And so, God, as we find that peace that you've made available in your son, may we actually experience that. May we practice the gratitude that will lead to that. And may we have the kind of peace that will bleed out from us, that will shine like a beacon of light in a world that is really, really struggling right now. And may the light that shines from us do exactly what your son said it was intended to do be seen by others so that they would praise our Father in heaven, not so that we would get any credit, but so that they would look at us and say, if I do what he did, if I trust in Jesus like I know he does, well, I experience the same thing. Because that will bring you glory and it will bring the people that you love so desperately, both into a place of peace and into a relationship with you and into eternity with you. That's what we want, Father. That's what ultimately we all want. Is it the same peace that we're experiencing to be peace that others would experience as well? So God, make it so. Give us the strength to do what we know we ought to do. And may we see you answer your promises and may we move into this next season with joy as we experience your presence guarding us in our hearts and our minds. We thank you for this time. We thank you for your son. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.